You know, as different as everything seems this holiday season, one thing still holds true year after year. Everybody loves holiday scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery. And with tickets available from $1 to $20, they're the perfect gift for anyone on your list 18 years or older. So, stay safe this year and play it safe with your gift-giving. Give scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery! Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Please play responsibly. Ho, 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 ho. You know, as different as everything seems this holiday season, one thing still holds true year after year. Everybody loves holiday scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery. And with tickets available from $1 to $20, they're the perfect gift for anyone on your list 18 years or older. So, stay safe this year and play it safe with your gift-giving. Give scratch-offs from the ho, 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 Ohio Lottery. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Please play responsibly. On today's episode of Hoop Dreams, Steve and myself break down episodes 5 and 6 of The Last Dance. We get into Michael Jordan, the gambler, um, his shoe contract, uh, people he surrounded himself with gambling, um, his political views. We get into Kobe Bryant um, and the lasting impact that Michael Jordan had on him um, in his career. Um, you know, we get into everything and, and, um, you know, everybody wanted to be like Mike during that time, but we also get into how it must have been, um, you know, really hard being Michael Jordan and everything that he had to go through. So, um, sit back, stay tuned. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Sometimes I dream that he is me. Got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream I dream I dream theme song of our generation brings back so many memories what's up everybody this is mark belville episode 10 of hoop dreams i guess you could say this is kind of a milestone episode getting to 10 episodes um i'm here joined as always by my co-host steve lewis what's going on steve how you doing today mark i am very happy to be here mark i'm ready to go ready to hop into episode five episode six with you yeah, as everybody can tell, I'm sure uh, by the intro there, we're definitely talking Last Dance. We got episode five and six that just um, happened last night. Um, I'm going to start off, but two of my biggest takeaways, I, I think, uh, that I've gotten so far from this episode is, number one, we all knew about uh, Michael Jordan's uh, gambling addiction, but how much, in my opinion, in denial he was and saying that, you know, he didn't he didn't think he had an addiction, that he had a competitive problem. You know, so we'll get into that later on. And then number two takeaway for me was just how much Jordan could just find ways to uh, self-motivate himself, whether it be in the 92 finals where he took the comparison of Clyde Drexler uh, offensive, saying that Clyde was on the same level as him. First game, he scores 39, Clyde scores 16, and, and then Clyde, everything else is in the rear view. And then in 93,
three, um, he took offense at people saying Dan Marley could guard him and how Dan Marley was Jerry Krause's boy. Uh, and he was going to prove that that wasn't uh, the case. And, and there was nothing Dan Marley could do to stop him. So uh, those are my two biggest takeaways. And I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit later on. Um, but what about you, Steve? What did you take away from yesterday? Well, let me just uh, spin on that um, with the gambling problem. I believe the quote was, I don't have a gambling problem. I have a competition problem. Exactly. Um, that is an unbelievable comment to be able to make right there because I obviously as a degenerate myself, I mean, I guess, you know, I, if you want to spin it that way, you could spin it that way, but whatever. Um, but the best and, part was like the, uh, you know, the worst thing he could have <laughs> did, like the interview with Ahmad Rashad and he calls him on. He's like, Hey man, you got a camera crew? Like, let's do this thing. Cause he was just sick and tired of all the questions. He's like, let's get out. Let's just do an interview right now. And the guy shows up in fucking sunglasses Looking like he like just came off of a bender uh, with sunglasses on during the interview, just stating so saying all the stuff that you would say if you had a gambling problem. Oh, my marriage isn't affected. I have plenty of money. I'm not mortgaging my, I'm, you know, my house isn't foreclosed on. I'm not losing things. He was obviously doing everything or saying everything that he would that a uh, a degenerate gambler would say. And it's all the things I've said. Like I, <laughs> exactly, I could still go home. The heat is still on. There's still food in the refrigerator. I can still pay my bills. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I definitely was like, yeah, I guess I could see where Michael's coming from. But as I, I think we all said, I think the quote also was $10,000 to Michael Jordan is $10 to you. So, oh, exactly. you, know, yep. you know, and, and to, to speak on like the motivational factor, it also went along with the factor of when they were in the Olympics, just the motivation of the draft pick of Tony Kukoc. Like Jerry Krause's boy, like he loved Tony Kukoc and the fact that he was willing to not only go to Yugoslavia and pay Tony Kukoc more money than Scottie Pippen, that was enough for not only Michael Jordan to want to go out and defend the hell out of <laughs> this poor this poor guy that didn't even know it was about to hit him, but to you know, to basically emasculate poor Tony Kukoc. And 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 they called him Tony Kukoc. Which I thought was even more funny. Even at the, even on draft night when he got drafted, they couldn't even get his name right. <laughs> you know, so the, you know the whole two episodes, um, fantastic. Again, this documentary has been one of the best documentaries. I think it's one of the best sports documentaries I've ever watched, and it's definitely continued to get better. And we we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Tolan said episode seven and eight was going to be the best two episodes of the doc and it's setting up to be what I wanted the seven and eight to be. And yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to get into it, but let's start breaking down these last two episodes, Mark. Yeah. We'll just start off since we're on it. We'll start off with the gambling thing. So um, come to find out this guy is in, uh, you know, obviously crazy debt. They did some investigation after the book, you know, the Jordan rules uh, came out. Um, everybody had this, um, image of Michael Jordan as this really nice guy. He never got into any trouble, um, was always nice with the media and everything like that. Um, and all of a sudden, this book comes out called The Jordan Rules, uh, where it kind of highlights how he was with his teammates and highlights um, his gambling issues um, and things like that. And um, the people that he was associating with, and these were some big time gamblers in my opinion. Like, like one guy, you know, uh, was looked like a mafia guy, the slick back hair Italian dude. Um, who who said that he Michael owed him one point two million dollars in, in golf debts, you know? And then there was another guy who was just a golf uh, hustler. They called him, I believe. Um, and he was known. Uh, he was arrested before for drugs and like he was into some crazy shit as well. 
So these people, uh, <coughs> excuse me, these people Michael was surrounding himself with um, were not very good people at all. Um, and I don't know about Michael or if he just was so confident in his golf game or how bad his golf game was, but to lose $1.2 million in golf, man, that's a lot of money. Oh, it's a lot of money, but like you said, it's a lot of money to us. It's not a lot of money to Michael Jordan. And I think that's where people were having the issue with being able to decide, like, is this an issue for the general public to be able to come to grasp with saying, like, Michael Jordan has a gambling problem? Or is it an issue that we have an issue that Michael Jordan has an issue? So we know that he's got a vice with blackjack, and, and clearly he's got an issue with everything, right? We're watching him flip quarters for eight, 20 bucks with a security guard, which I found out, um, obviously, it was that clip where the guy's like mocking him. Um, it was one of the, uh, what's the name of the uh, the Chicago the center? Um, what was the, where did which, they play? What, what, what center? Uh, they played on the Chicago? Luke Longley? No, what was, it, what was the name of the? Oh, the uh, United Center. The United, United center. center, which I yeah. actually found out that guy was actually his security guard 20 years after um, he retired from wherever he did because wow. uh, people started like looking and they're like, who's this guy that was mocking him? Obviously, you put a viral tweet out there with that clip, when, which was the uh, the vintage tweet of what he did after he hit the four threes in the first half with the yeah, quiet With the shoulder ball. shrug in his uh, face. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, so he, he, he went out, he, he was having a lot of gambling that we talked about like where his gambling went would go. Um, yeah, not good. One of the craziest quotes I too that that I heard was they had the story of them gambling, you know, they would play on the bus and they would play um, on the airplanes and, and flights and stuff like that. And he would play in the back um, and they would play for you know thousands of dollars. They play blackjack, it would be him, Ron Harper, Scottie Pippen. All the guys that kind of, you know, were wealthier. Um, and then in the front of the bus, it would be like uh, Will Purdue, Bill Wennington, uh, John Paxson. Um, and Michael came up to the front one time and said, hey, you guys mind if I play with you? And they're like, Michael, you know, you, you guys are playing for big money back there. We're only playing for, you know, a dollar. This wouldn't be of, you know, dollar a hand. This wouldn't be of any interest to you. He said, it'll be interest to me because I just want to know that I have your money in my pocket after I win. Yeah. I thought that was one of the craziest comments. This guy just wanted to, no matter what, he just wanted to beat you, take your money, and, and step on your throat while you were down. It was a trophy to him. That's what gambling was. Um, he just wanted action at all times, you know, and that's just the way he lived his life. So when people looked at it like that, we joked about it, but that's what a degenerate is. He wants action at all times, at all costs, and, and that's the what, what motivated him at all times, just something that could keep that motor going you know, whether it was a golf game. And I think we talked about it. Uh, I think Barkley came on. Um, and that was like one of the things I like about what's going on. Like, even after they're showing the episodes, like you can watch like the 11 o'clock sports centers and, and Pelt's got like one of the big, uh, the big guests on that like can kind of coagulate with what, what one of the episodes was. So obviously the 93 finals featured the matchup with the Phoenix Suns, which was the MVP Charles Barkley. And we all know Charles had was one of the bigger uh, guys that was in gambling debts in uh, in the past, and he always said that like when you dealt with Michael, he Michael was the guy that he would always want to buy the pot. And when I say buy the pot, it was he was a terrible gambler, but when push came to shove, he could just force you out at any given moment because he had unlimited funds. So 
he could keep sense. he could keep losing over and over and over again, but at the same time, like he would keep doubling down. All right, double or nothing. All right, Mike. All right, gonna keep play again. All right, he would lose again. All right, so we're gonna play for another hundred grand. All right, all right, double or nothing. And he would just keep putting the pressure on you over and over and over again. Barkley said it like you just kind of had to be willing to gamble with him over and over and over again. And he would just force you in over and over again. He'd buy the pot, buy the pot, buy the pot. And he said why it was fun. He goes, he'd make you sweat. And that was the way Jordan was. Like he just didn't care. There was Money was never an issue. And then so when you would go back, and I think the, the first big issue with the gambling that came out was ga- after game one of the Eastern Conference Finals, um, in the 93 season, which was against the Knicks, um, they lose game one. And the first thing he does to escape the scrutiny was he flees to Atlantic city and the press finds out about it. They said, look at this, like Michael Jordan loses game one of the Eastern conference finals. And the first thing that he does is he goes to Atlantic city. Now, you asked me today, like, you know, like, look at how big the media press was. And the first thing I thought of was like, well, you see how the media is these days. Like, you, they want to hop on anything that they can possibly do. And they'll look fr- for anything to tear an athlete down. Yeah. And obviously, we know how the, the legend goes. Like, Michael Jordan's Michael Jordan. But the first story I thought of was like when the Giants went to Florida the week of the wild card. You know, why, are, why is OBJ on a boat? in Florida when he should be in a playbook getting ready for the Green Bay Packers. Well, obviously that blew up in his face and that was the story of the offseason. Obviously we know Michael Jordan overcame the Knicks and that never became a story. But obviously looking back on it and seeing this doc, in that moment people were scrutinizing them. Like, oh, Michael Jordan clearly doesn't care. Well, no, it was more than that. Michael Jordan has got a clear addiction problem. Obviously Michael Jordan comes back to the locker room. What's the story surrounding the Bulls at that point? Michael Jordan's addiction. You know, he comes back, loses game two. What's the motivation for the team having Michael Jordan's back? And what you said earlier was, what did Jordan always find a way to be able to curtail or find a way to be able to persevere? Was finding any sort of motivation that he needed to be able to persevere in any sort of moment. In that moment, it wasn't just being able to find a way to three-peat. It was being able to prove everybody wrong, being like, yeah, you can you can say that my addiction's my addiction, but I'm still going to go out there. I'm still going to turn around and score 42 and turn around and win the series and go, and go to Phoenix and then win that series and then three-peat because the big issue that year was Magic's won two in a row, Isaiah won two in a row, Bird won two in a row, but nobody had ever won at that point three championships in a row, and that's what the Bulls were trying to accomplish. It was that three-peat at that in that season. Yeah, and and one of the saddest things to me is how that ultimately, in my opinion, led to his retirement the first time. You know, I think he was just you know with the media kind of tearing him down with all the gambling questions, and you know when you're the best player in the world, which he was probably from 1988 up until you know that season in 1993 so for a solid five straight years you're a global icon um you saw the video of him getting off the bus and people waiting for him there's people in buildings across the street um i believe in this episode they showed he sold out the georgia dome in a game against the hawks 63,000 people like that's not happening with these guys today like all the superstars lebron and duran and they're not that's not happening with with them and um you know, I think it just it got overwhelming for him, and I think he was just getting tired of it, of, of all the demands um, of being that best player in the world and that global icon. And, and it even showed a clip 
Well, that was that was that was that was ninety eight. Yeah, but I'm saying like because it showed that clip in 1998 when he was like you know laying on the couch smoking a cigar in his hotel room and basically saying you know it's not easy being him, uh, which you know everybody's like oh he's Michael Jordan he's got all the money and he's famous and like blah blah, blah. but it's I mean you got to think about it. it's not easy you got all the demands you got to do press you got to do everybody pulling you in different directions it's definitely you know not the, the easiest thing in the world but I think part of his retirement and. Um, in 93 combined with, you know, obviously the untimely murder of his father, um, you know, that I think that culminated in everything. And he was just at that point, he had just had it. He's like, I, I just need to do something different and kind of get out of the limelight a little bit. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I mean, so the biggest is, so we'll, we'll, uh, we'll try to detail, uh, episode five right now. Um, so episode five, uh, got right into it. Um, it opened up with uh, Jordan uh, going right into his all-star game in 98, uh, which was in uh, New York City. But it opened up uh, RIP Kobe Bryant, um, which I thought everybody was kind of like looking forward to, trying to see, like, just get a little the, mamba. The best scene was that locker room scene at the beginning where Jordan's talking talking trash about Kobe. Yeah. With all the all the vets with Hardaway and Penny, both Hardaways in there, Tim and Penny and Reggie Miller. And they're like, that kid, that young kid for the Lakers, he's going to try to go one-on-one. He doesn't let that – that game come to him. He's like, I'm going to make his ass work tonight. And then just seeing how Michael treated him in that moment. And then how ultimately Michael was the reason. And even Kobe said it, that Michael's the reason that, you know, he has five championships without him. None of that would have been possible. Yep. And then it was the, always the question like about the one-on-ones who would win. And Kobe would have said, I hate that question. You know, like that's not what it was about for me because like you said, like I needed Mike to be able to be who I was. And obviously we understood like, for Michael Jordan, like he took Kobe. I mean, and and for Michael, like to see the way he reacted at his funeral, like that was completely authentic. And I didn't know how authentic it was until I actually saw the clips of how he saw Kobe as a youth. Um, the way he reacted to him, the way he was willing to give his phone number out, the way he was willing to almost mentor him and take him under his wing and be willing to talk to him and be willing to answer any question that he was willing to deal with. And it, it was definitely, it was definitely nice to be able to get that interview and, and see how that was. So it was definitely a nice way to open up the episode. And sure. uh, I, I think one of the best moments from that, um, that also game, which shows, you know, you know, somebody shooting a free throw and it pants to Kobe and Mike, and they're, you know, bent over talking to each other at the, uh, at half court, you know, everybody's like, you know, what are they talking about? And it, later it was real revealed that um, Kobe was just asking him how he shoots his patented fadeaway jump shot. You know, what does he do? And, you know, how does he feel the defense or whatever? And Michael just sat there and calmly told him, he said, hey, you use your legs uh, to feel the defense, which way they're moving. Uh, and, you know, after that, that's when he gave him his number and said, hey, man, you need anything, call me anytime, um, text me, whatever. We'll talk about anything that you need, any help. Um, and ultimately, we were able to see, you know, how, what Kobe turned into um, over the years. Obviously, one of the greatest players of all time, five championships. And then, you know, after Kobe passed, that speech, like you said, that Jordan made, it was that was real emotion for Mike. You saw how much Kobe meant to him and how much of a little brother Kobe was to him. Is there any player in the league right now that reminds you any bit of Jordan today in the game? The, I mean, the closest person with just the way he plays the game would probably be Kawhi. Yeah, I agree. I, I would say because Michael Jordan was, he. Did, I mean, 
uh, he was an unbelievable defender. He was an unbelievable two play two way player. He was, you know, nine time he won Defensive Player of the Year. He was a nine time All NBA First Team defender. Um, and Kawhi is an unbelievable two way player. And Kawhi's mid range game is unbelievable. Uh, I think that's one of the best parts of his games. In um, that same way with Jordan, you know, he lived in the mid range. Um, I think Jordan gets to the basket a little bit better than Kawhi does, and obviously he can finish a little bit better. Kawhi's not really dunking over too many people like Mike did, um, but I think that would be the closest. Um, you know, Kobe, in my eyes, was the guy who married Jordan, identical. Everything, you know, every part of Kobe's game was Michael Jordan, um, and I don't think we've seen that since Kobe. Now, obviously, we opened up the show with the the Be Like Mike uh, jingle. and Love it. And... The jingle obviously was uh, like before that was obviously the shoe endorsement. And I was actually reading uh, about the shoe endorsement today and he wanted Adidas. That was what he, that's what he originally wanted. Um, He wasn't big on Nike, obviously bird and magic had converse. So he didn't want to deal with that. And Adidas didn't want him. Um, Adidas didn't believe in him as like the marquee athlete. And honestly, it was his mom and dad that pushed him to take the Nike agreement. He ended up taking it. And I actually read the figures today. Nike expected uh, to make on the deal $3 million over the first four years. Do you know what they made in the first first year? What was that? $125 million in the first year under contract. It's crazy because at that time, shoe contracts, like the highest people were getting like $100,000. And as a rookie, Nike signed Jordan for 250000 Crazy. So this guy hasn't even played a game yet in the NBA. And um, Nike's putting everything they have into this guy on a pure um, whim. Like they don't, they don't know how he's going to pan out. They don't know. He could be, you know, obviously he turned into the best player ever to play the game, but he could have just been another top five NBA draft pick that was a flop and didn't do anything. Um, you know, I want to, you know, it doesn't surprise me that that's how much they earned in the first year with the rookie season that he had. Um, it just, it just took off $125 million. I mean, when you put in an assessment at, I mean, they expected, so they were making, thinking that they were going to make $750,000 a year. They, they made $125 million. I didn't think that that was that, especially in that time of, um, I didn't think that it was that much, but Mm -hmm. When you add it, I, I think the smartest endorsement that they made was they made they put Spike Lee on those commercials. It's got to be the shoes. It's got to be. It's not the shoes. No, it's can't. It can't be. It's got to be the shoes. It's not the shoes. You know. Um. So it went from that, and then and then they started talking about um, Jordan as the two time champ, um, which was against Clyde Drexler. Um. And that and that, like you said, that, like that was the driven uh, comparison. It was just another one of those things where. Like he, he was told that, oh, this is that big matchup, this and that. He went out, he thrived, he destroyed him. And then they got into the real thing with the Olympic team. Um, they wanted them to play for the Olympic team. And that was like where, from where we saw was probably my favorite part of the first episode. Um, because we started seeing not only the chaos with the Isaiah Thomas. And, and, and that's another thing, like. They just love to bash Isaiah Thomas. Like, like this is just another moment. Nobody where- liked Isaiah, dude. And I even tweeted it out. I said, everybody wants to blame Jordan for Isaiah not being on that team. But nobody wanted that team. He had beef with Bird, beef with Magic, beef with Jordan, beef with Pippen. It was, he wasn't getting, even if Jordan wasn't on that team, Isaiah wasn't getting on that team. And I know we agree with it. Like, Isaiah Thomas was better than John Stockton. 
But when you have to spend two months on the Dude, road, even Mike said it. Mike said it. He's the second. He thinks he's the second greatest point guard of all months. time behind Magic Johnson. Two months on the road in Barcelona, like, and you guys hate each other. Like, it's not going to work. I'm sorry. It's just not going to work. And and that's just. I mean, and, and the, I think it bugged him even more that Chuck Daly was the coach, right? Like, so you know, it is yeah. what it, it is. What but it there is. was a mutual respect between Chuck and MJ. I mean, Chuck's basically the inventor of the Jordan rules. No, I know, you know? that, but I think that, that that has to bug Isaiah that his coach. Oh, it bugs Isaiah for sure. You, you know but what Chuck's I'm saying? Chuck doesn't really have a say in it. You know what I mean? That, I know that, that was put that, together by Rod Thorne and all those guys. I know that, but when your coach is coaching the dream team and you know that you should be on that team and your coach knows that you should be on that team and all those players know that you should be on that team, like they, I, I get I get the friction, but come on, Isaiah, like you did it to yourself. You know, yeah. that's just what does he expect? You the know, camaraderie, the camaraderie of that team. I mean, you see it. Everybody got along very well. And th- don't get me wrong. There were moments during the dream team where people got on each other's cases. I mean, going back to Jordan and Drexler, Magic was telling the story of Jordan was getting on Drexler so much in practice that they literally had to tell him, like, yo, Mike, step off, like, step back a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it wasn't all, you know, sunshine and rainbows. But for the most part, those guys all got along. They were all really good friends. And Isaiah would have just threw a wrench in that whole thing. Now, while they won, they won the gold medal, and that was the first Olympics where they allowed NBA players to actually participate in the Olympics. The best part of that whole Olympic experience was the practice that they had the five-on-five scrimmage. And I mean, you had 10 future first ballot Hall of Famers playing in a scrimmage where all of them had huge egos versus one another. All of them thought they were the best basketball players in the world. And at that given time, you were never going to see that much talent on a basketball court at any given moment. And we had footage of it. And it lived up to every billing of the hype, not only from a basketball standpoint, but from a verbal standpoint, Mark. Oh, yeah, for sure. I love that. The best part about that, too. We saw. I don't know if you've ever seen the. Um, a lot of the listeners out there probably saw it, but the Dream Team documentary. Yes. So they have they had footage of this game in the Dream Team documentary, but they showed footage in this Bulls documentary that they didn't show in that documentary, which was awesome. You know, and like you said, the talking was just next level. I think Magic's team came out on Michael. They were up twelve to four right out the gate, and uh, Magic went up to Michael and said, "Hey, man, you better turn in the Air Jordan real quick, or else we're about to blow you guys out." And then all of a sudden, his eyes light up, his tongue comes out, and like Magic said, it just comes down, hits a three. Comes down, hits another three. Comes down, dunk. He just took over that game like only you know Michael Jordan could. And then there was they didn't have video of this, but then there was Magic uh, was saying that uh, one of the greatest moves he's ever seen in a game, you know, practice game, regular game, whatever it was, was Michael Jordan went up to to dunk, and Dave Robinson went to meet him. And Michael, knowing how he just glides in the air, he just hangs in the air. He knew David Robinson was going to come back down to the ground. Michael elevates 360s. David Robinson's going back down, and he just tomahawks on him. And we don't have footage of that, but obviously it's, it happened. I mean, Magic wouldn't be making that up, and that's just an unbelievable in-game move to to pull off, and, and only Michael Jordan could do that. Now, basically it was a foregoing conclusion that they were going to win the gold medal. Now, if, you, if none of our listeners have ever seen the Dream Team documentary, I definitely suggest that you go out and watch it. And the, one of the best things, and they don't obviously include it in this, um, but in the Dream Team doc, there used to be a, a USA Select team. Now, the USA Select team is a bunch of college all-stars um, that they allowed to go in and play the NBA Dream Team at that moment. And 
what Chuck did was he purposely threw the game. And when I say through the game was he coached that dream team to lose against the college select yep. teams, to basically teach them a lesson. And when I say teach them a lesson, basically to, he knew that there was no way that they were going to lose, but he wanted to make them feel somewhat inferior, inferior. So because he knew that they, they had to be able to find a way to be able to play together, because if they weren't going to be able to find a way to play together, it was just going to be a lot of one-on-one isolation basketball. Yep. So to be able to make that work, because I believe the idea was he was just going to have two starting lineups and he was going to be able to play them 10 minutes at each time. So he had to be able to find a way to be able to make that work. And it ended up being genius. So he threw the game, which was funny because these college, I believe coach K was like, Chuck was able to find a way to throw these, this game to these college kids. These college kids thinks that they, they beat the yep. dream team. And, and he knew they were going to play that. That's, you know, that's one of the things he knew too. He knew the college kids were going to play their ass off. Yes. They're playing against their idols. I mean, obviously they're going to go in there and give it a hundred times. What does it take to end cyber attacks? At Cyber Reason, we can tell you exactly what it takes. It takes an army of battle-tested defenders on a mission. Defenders who fight foes that operate under the cover of digital darkness. Defenders who think, move, and adapt faster than cyber attackers. Defenders with the technology and effortless automation to spot and attack forming on computers, mobile devices, servers, and the cloud, and alert you when it matters most. To end cyber attacks, it takes the brightest minds in global cyber intelligence working to deliver future-ready protection to guard your data wherever the fight moves cyber reason is ready to win the battle with you and for you in the fight to end cyber attacks we are the defenders join us to reverse the adversary attacks with proactive protection against ever-evolving threats cyber reason and cyber attacks from endpoints to everywhere learn more at cyberreason.com that's c-y-b-e-r-e-a-s-o-n.com and Chuck's over here subbing out. MJ barely played that game. Yeah. Um, he's subbing out. You know, Christian Leitner's getting a ton of minutes, and he's the only college kid that made the dream team. Um, and he's getting a ton of minutes in the scrimmage, which it wasn't going to be like that during the Olympics. So you could tell he was definitely throwing the game. And you say, like, well, how can he possibly throw the game to NBA players? And I'd say this because, like, he might put no ball handlers on the court at one time, and he might put – a bunch of small guys in to not be able to rebound at one time. Like you can figure out yeah. ways to be. And they didn't play to... scrubs. Like yeah. they didn't play scrubs. Well, I believe like, you Grant, Chris, I Grant, Grant Hill, Chris Weber, Jamal Mashburn was on that team. Yeah, like, like, all solid future NBA players. Bobby Hurley was on that team who didn't didn't do well in the NBA, but at that time he was an unbelievable college player. They just won back to back championships. Well, I mean, he got into a serious uh, mo- um, motorcycle accident. Well, I know. Williams, I he didn't. Jason Williams thought exactly. You know, press his soul, but you know that that's just the way that was. But that that's basically I mean, what it was. But yeah, like that that was a big thing. But the biggest takeaway from the Olympic experience was from Michael Jordan. Like, besides winning the gold medal, like that be- allowed him to become a world phenomenon, right? Like, like he then became like that cultural phenomenon after that experience, where now everybody knew who he was. So. That be like Mike experience blew the fuck up after he left Barcelona that year. So that was a big, that was a big, big experience. That was a huge him. thing. One of the biggest things too from that, and they mentioned this on the doc too, was how loyal Michael was. You know, we're talking about his brand too, the Nike and everything like that. So uh, the Dream Team's uniforms and warmups were all Reebok. So Michael's like, I'm not walking out there during the gold medal ceremony with Reebok draped all over me. 
And there he's in his, talking to somebody in a car and they're driving. He's like, they're in for a fucking rude awakening tomorrow if they think home showing off this, you know, Reebok logo. And that just goes to show how loyal he was to his like inner circle, family, friends, his endorsements. Um, so he did this thing and everybody's probably seen this, but he has the American flag draped over his right shoulder covering the Reebok logo um, so that nobody could see it, um, which is just, that's just a savage move by him, you know, and that was in a game against Croatia where um, they had just previously beaten Croatia by 30, like we talked about when they absolutely handed it you know, to Tony Kukoc. Um, and it's just so crazy how that relationship, in my opinion, with Kukoc played out because here it is. This is, uh, you know, Jerry Cross's boy. He drafts him in 1990. Kukoc doesn't come over right away because he was going to he was making millions of dollars. But it was just a few bucks. He was making a couple one, two million dollars more um, playing over in Croatia. So he didn't come overseas right away. Uh, but he was, you know, the next heir apparent. He was looking to hand that team over to Kukoc, you know, and Scotty and Michael, like we said, just absolutely gave it to him in that Olympics. But then it turns out he's a vital uh, player in there, and he plays a huge role in their next three-peat. Um, so it's crazy how that ha- happened and how that escalated from, you know, them kind of, you know, having it out for Kukoc um, to them having a respect for Kukoc and making it all work and trying to win three more championships. And then we had the transition of Michael Jordan – the basketball player and it ended up being Michael Jordan maybe turning into not only being his trait, but people wanting him to be more than a basketball player. And I thought that was an interesting lead into the end of episode five, because in a year of the election and the way that we see athletes trying to take political stances now in the world and how people view social media and how they want athletes to be more mainstream. And we saw it in the last election. You saw LeBron James endorsing Hillary Clinton. And and people want athletes to be able to have names on on political figures now. And and people that look up to athletes want to be able to say, oh, that's my guy. And if, and if he's sticking his name with that person, well, then maybe I will vote with that person now. And that was like the first big time where we had like the big political debate. Well, it was at least in his area of the country where he grew up and it was in North Carolina where he had a political debate where he actually had an African-American Democratic runner. I believe his name was uh, Ron Gant. And he he was up against a Republican um, runner. I, I forget his name, but... He was highly racist and highly, he was, and he was white. I mean, he was typical. It was your typical black and white thing back in the day. And he was, and it was one of those situations that a lot of black people wanted Michael Jordan to be somebody that was willing to endorse this democratic candidate. And while Michael Jordan was willing to give a little money towards his campaign, his stance was, listen, I don't know much about the campaign. I don't know much about the person. So I kind of want to stay in my lane and I don't want to be involved in that. I want to put all my energy into my craft and and stay there, which you understand, right? Because the one thing that you could say about Jordan back in the day was people did not have one bad word to say about him. And that's because he pretty much stayed out of the public eye. He didn't really say much. He, He didn't do, he lived a pretty much a private life, but people really wanted him to take that stance where they wanted him to be that Muhammad Ali figure where he really 
didn't realize that he had that much pull in the world as that that very influential black figure, but he really did. And him being able to stand up and being able to say, like, I endorse this guy, like, he really could have drew out more of a black vote to be able to, because I think, like, when I was, like, listening to it, like, the guy only won by, like, 60,000 votes. It was, like, something yeah. that if Michael Jordan was. If Michael Jordan had stood up and like really sat back and endorsed this he could guy, have pulled more votes. he could have, he probably could have overtook him. And and I think his mother even stood up and really wanted him to, to push it himself. So I his think I asked him even to, to say something to come out and, and, and do something. And, and Mike wasn't going to do it because Mike didn't really know anything about the guy. He wasn't going to endorse a guy that he had no idea, you know, what his beliefs were, what he was, you know, what he was about. And I didn't think he really, and a lot of people don't like this. I don't think he really cared to find out or learn. Um, and then one of his, you know, biggest quotes too at, at that time, and, and Barack Obama, who they interviewed, you know, was was you know kind of offended even him. At that time, he was looking to get into you know his political role and everything like that. And you know, he said, "Oh, uh, Republicans buy Nike too." You know, and and not a lot of people uh, were okay well, that, with that. It was buy shoes, buy Republicans buy shoes too. Buy shoes, yeah, buy shoes. Um, but like, not a, a lot of people were okay with that. That was basically saying like he didn't care who won. They're still spending money, which is putting money in his pocket. Um, you know, and then, like you said, they wanted him to be more like a Muhammad Ali, who was this, you know, uh, social justice warrior. And, and Michael wasn't that way. He didn't care about politics. Uh, he was just, like you said, focused on his craft. And that's what he put a ton of time and effort into. And he just didn't care or show any interest in, in anything other than that. And, and at the time, he was only making $4 million a year. And I mean, obviously, he made a bunch of money in endorsements. So it wasn't like it wasn't like this kind of time of year, like when LeBron James can really throw a lot of money into somebody's campaign and really help them out mm -hmm. and, and be able to push the issues that they need to push. And it's kind of like one of those things, too, that like you see how things drastically have changed over the last 25 years. Like, I wonder if Michael Jordan if things would be different now, but I mean, I think he did endorse Bill, Bill, uh, what's his name? Um, who's the, uh, the, the white guy that, that ran for president, uh, that played for the Knicks. Bill Bradley. Bill Bradley. I think he endorsed <laughs> Bill Bradley and that, and that caused Nailed like, that. I yeah, <laughs> for you. I think, that, I think that caused like a little more scrutiny. Uh, I think Stephen A. Smith said that today. He, that caused some scrutiny on his part that, that he was willing to do that and not go back and do that. But, but that was the biggest issue. Like he, he just kind of wanted to stay in his lane and he didn't want to like act out of line and do and, and support something or be a part of something that like he really just didn't fully know much about. And we kind of see like how the evolution of everything has changed, like where now anybody who's anyone now that's trying to run for political office will reach out to any sort of figure in any sort of dominant sport to try to get any sort of endorsement that they possibly can get. Um, like you'll see LeBron James will endorse somebody, I'm sure, or whoever, or Joe Biden, like anybody who's not Donald Trump will get endorsed by some sort of black athlete, I'm sure, um, come uh, political season at this point. But that was uh, definitely a big knock on him at the time. And I believe the quote was that it will end up being a cold take now, but that Michael Jordan will be a forgotten soul because he did not like come out and, and support that guy at that time who ended up losing the election. Obviously, that wasn't true. But you know, that just goes to show you that like at that time that that people were really disappointed in Michael Jordan for not taking that stance from a political action. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and and as we saw, like 
Michael obviously goes on and, um, you know, continues that, you know, that, that three-peat. They finish it against, um, you know, the Phoenix Suns. You know, and a big thing that I had in, in um, my kind of notes here and everything like that, and I tweeted this out yesterday, because uh, a lot of people, like, when they, they're doing, like, the Jordan comparison with, you know, whoever the greatest players are in the world, they always say, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, he needed help or he didn't do it by himself. And I heard this crazy thing today about, you know, obviously in that clinching game against Phoenix, uh, who hit the game-winning shot it was John Paxson. Uh, with that shot, who also hit a big shot in the 91 finals as well against the Lakers, you know, but then that final play, you know, Jordan got the ball full court and he got double teamed and he passed it up ahead and um, they got the pip and drove and kicked it to Grant and then Grant kicked it out to Paxson for the, for the game winning three, you know, and a lot of that is that's just Michael Jordan making the right play. You know, a lot of him, people wanted him to take the you know best shot and he thrives in those situations and everything like that. Um, but why not get it to a clutch shooter? Um, to help you out and everything like that. And you know, that was a big takeaway about last night because a lot of things that I'm hearing, you know, is that, you know, uh, Michael and everybody's saying he thrives in these situations um, and, and stuff like that. And, and he always knew what to do, whether it was shoot the ball or, or make the pass. And I think that's what, you know, sets him apart too. So I, I think I brought this up earlier to you, um, the evolution of the locker room. And there was a scene with him Ron Harper and Scottie Pippen, and he's about to go out. And <laughs> he's, about to, he's about to go have yeah. do his interviews, and they're just sitting there. And pretty standard to Michael is he's always smoking cigars, and they're they're sitting there and they're slugging some Miller Lights, and and they're the basically the comment was, uh, "Don't catch me on camera slugging this beer." I think Ron Harper said that, and Michael's like, "I don't." No, care. Pippen said that. Oh, Pippen Pitt, said that, oh, and, Harper, and Harper was like, "I don't care. You can record me doing whatever." And Jordan says, 10 years ago, he's like, people would be in the locker room at halftime smoking cigarettes, taking back a case of beer before they would go out and perform in the second half. And that went back to episode one where they were talking about the cocaine and all that bullshit was going on. cocaine roadshow. And it basically made me think about like, you know, just playing softball with the bros, like, you know, and, 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 and not just going out and like, you didn't really, I mean, playing softball was fun, but like anybody, everybody just cared about like slugging beers prior to playing softball and then going to the pocket line slugging beers after the softball game. And it just made me think about like, no one's doing that in the locker rooms now, right? Like, like no, I don't, that's, and that's way different. Like back, like like imagine like slugging bears and smoking cigarettes in an NBA basketball game, and then going out around full court. Like nobody's doing that now in the NBA. Nobody's doing that. I mean, other than the Red Sox back in you know a few years ago when they had that whole chicken and bear incident, right? Yeah, but did I, did I send you the story about the Warriors when they beat? The the Mavericks, the one versus eight team back in two thousand seven. Oh, the We Believe Warriors. The We Believe. Did I send you that story? That Matt Barnes wants to do a documentary on it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you did. Did I did I send you what they did after they beat the the Mavericks? That, no, not not what they did exactly, but you just said that they partied. So, so, I mean. so they went back to so basically they went back to Don Nelson's penthouse. Um, after they beat the Mavericks in, I think it was game six. Yep. And Don Nelson. Wow. <laughs> and Don Nelson, huge stoner, by the way. And, yeah, yeah. and this he looks, story, he looks like he can party. And, and that's another great podcast. If anybody hasn't listened to that, the, uh, the Matt Barnes, Steven Jackson 
podcast. Oh, the podcast. It's I really think we good. I think we brought that up too. Um, yeah. But they went to that. Um, they went to this party, and Don Nelson immediately says, "Go upstairs." And Woody Allen is upstairs, and he's got some joints rolled up for you guys upstairs right now. And he's, I'm like, what? Now, if anybody doesn't know who Woody Allen is, Woody Allen is like this old ass fucking producer director in Hollywood, and he look and he doesn't fit the part. But if you if you can look him up, like he, like you'd be surprised. They go up there, and next thing you know, they're just blazing blunts with like Jessica Alba. Um, who else was with them? But a, a bunch of people, random like Hollywood actors and just doing the damn thing. And I just started like thinking about it. I was just like, I was like, man, I was just like, like, like we're talking about locker room stuff. And then we're just talking about after parties and like drug testing and like how things have just become way stricter over time. And like how things are, how restrictions are starting to ease back. And like, like, like what like really changed. Right. Like, like what, like, yeah. why did true. They- like why did well, it's just an image thing? I would say I has guess, basketball right? has basketball always been that renegade sport though that like nobody cared. Uh, I, I would say back in the day. I mean, I don't think recently. I mean, other than that team, like I don't think teams are doing. I mean, teams are partying after, but I don't think they're, they're going back to the coach's house and have and joints rolled up before them already. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Like you know, like <laughs> oh, I mean, we're talking about like cocaine parties and like locker rooms, and I mean, and these guys. I mean, that was the '80s, though. That was '80s and '90s. Like shit was going down back then. That's way different. You know, different times and what is. I don't think anybody's blowing lines in the locker room these days. But I don't. I don't know about you though. But like, I can't imagine like smoking a. It seemed like Michael was like smoking a cigar every day. Like like cigar. Oh, yeah. Like cigars. Two cigars a day for somebody Easily. that is like the best. Like, like I'll say it, best athlete. Like Charles Barkley says it. Like, it's Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan. Like, they are the best athletes of all time. Like, there is like you can have like Tom Brady, you can have like these other goats and stuff like that. But the best athletes that I've ever seen, like these two, are the like for Michael Jordan to have like these habits and still be able to perform at the highest of highest levels, like is incredible to me. And and to be able to just be slugging cigars and and be able to perform as well as he did is just astonishing to me. And not only to be able to do that stuff, but to be able to have the media on him at all times, and to be able to. And I thought another fascinating thing was, like, t- he had ten minutes to to be able to with, to deal with special needs kids prior to games right like mm-hmm. he he dealt with the the make-a-wish kids and he made them feel fantastic and then he had to go out and he had to perform and then he had to go back to the locker room and then he had 10 minutes to shower then he had to go do this and he had to do that like man like you're right like i don't think i would have wanted to been michael jordan no and i think that's one of the best you know one of the best attributes about him was doing all that stuff one of the best quotes that i think michael has ever had was you know i play every game and i give 110 percent because there's going to be somebody out there watching me for the very first time there's going to be somebody that's never seen me before so that's why i don't take games off i always give it 110 percent because i want them to see the best you know of michael jordan um and that just goes back to like people you know players these days with the load management and taking days off and you know people are paying back you know people are playing paying unbelievable amounts of money these days compared to what they were paying in the 90s for tickets and they're not even you know going to a lakers game and not even seeing lebron james play because he wants to sit out and just rest a few days um you know so 
Um, Michael was always, you know, the guy to always put on a show for the fans. Um, and we both agree, like, neither of us would, as much as fun as it sounds to be to be Michael Jordan, um, it just would have been draining, it seems. Was Danny Ainge the best role player loser of all time? <laughs> because I didn't know that he, I didn't know he was on he was Portland. On Portland. I, I didn't know he was on Portland either. Until I heard that today, actually. He was on so, Portland and then Phoenix. He, I mean, he was good with that. Dude, you, speaking of, I mean, let's just get on Danny Ainge really quick. I mean, this is obviously the last dance podcast, which has had a ton of Danny Ainge in it. But do you know Danny Ainge was a three-time All-American in, in high school? I did. Football, basketball, and, and baseball? Oh, the I did. Phenom- oh, I did not know that he was a multi-sport All-American. Yeah, yeah, three-time multi-sport All-American, dude. And uh, um, uh, baseball, football, basketball – and he actually signed with the Toronto Blue Jays to play, but they had an agreement to let him go to school as well. So he was going to BYU while doing like uh, summer baseball with the uh, Blue Jays. And then Red Auerbach had to pay a ridiculous amount of money to get Danny Ainge out of his contract to go play for the Boston Celtics. He was like the number one recruit coming out his year, the year he was drafted, and he ended up going um, – you know, in the later rounds because he was, people weren't sure if he was going to even play. And our back called him up and said, hey, we're going to draft you. You know, you're, you're coming to play for the Boston Celtics. And then he had to negotiate with Toronto to buy him out of his contract so that he could play for the Celtics. Yeah. I mean, I I, like, I was stunned when I, when I found out that he was on Portland. I had no idea he was on Portland. I knew he was on <laughs> Phoenix. Um, was Phoenix the best series? Like, I know Phil says that was the toughest series because of the emotional uh, swings of what was going on. I didn't, I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, and you're trying to 3P. And only that series, only every team lost. There was only one team to win at home. Everybody, every all the other games that, that were lost, so that was crazy. And Phoenix was the best team that year; they had over sixty wins or sixty wins exactly, I believe, and they had the MVP, Charles Barkley. To be honest with you, I only looked up like how many games the series went, so I was more stunned uh, when I found out that they won two games in Chicago. Yeah. Um. So I thought that was really impressive that that happened. Obviously, that triple overtime game was ridiculous, and obviously, Game Six was a coin flip. You know, so that game could have gone, that series could have gone seven, and who would have knew what would happen at that point? Um, yeah, I just don't see how the 98 fi- finals or that 98, that run wasn't the toughest. With everything we've seen so far in the documentary, with Scotty holding out at the beginning, not getting injuries right away, not getting his surgery right away because he didn't want to fuck up his summer, um, and coming back in January to play, and then, um, you know, game state that Indiana takes him to seven games in the Eastern Conference finals. That was the infamous uh, Reggie Miller push-off game in Game 6 where he pushes off and comes around to, to the wing and then hits the three to win the game and force the Game 7. Um, and then the Jazz weren't a pushover. I mean, that's a team that knew the Chicago Bulls. They had just played them the year before. Um, so well, I think that – I mean, I just think what they went through in that season, uh, you know, with knowing that it could be their last time and everything could be over. Well, that's what it is, right? It's the, spe- it's the speculation of knowing the end is there, right? And the pressure yeah. of knowing that the end of the road is here – so you can play into that and say like, all right, it's game seven, but you know, like obviously we know how, it, how it ends at that point. But so we've got episode seven and eight coming up and we know what it's going to tell Michael's it's going to go a little bit more into the gambling. It's going to go into the retirement. It's going to go into Michael playing baseball, his father's death. Yeah. We're um, also going to get to see the footage of him and Steve Kerr in practice, which I'm super excited to see. Yep. Yeah, so we're going to get the return. Um, uh, like I said, I, I believe I detailed it last episode. Colin said that it's going to be a lot of um, Michael Jordan, like his intimate moments with himself. And then it's going to be a lot of how people viewed Michael Jordan, the person too. So 
that's what you're going to get. And then I'm assuming nine and 10 is going to be um, probably the fifth and sixth championship or no, the fourth and fifth championship combined. Yep. And then, yeah. and then probably court tailed with like the ending of the sixth and final championship and that farewell. So yep. I'm looking forward to it, Mark. The, like I said, yeah, in the yeah. beginning, like, like Sunday's been absolutely must see TV. It's definitely lived up to the hype. It's been very well produced, very well documented, and um, like you said, man, it's one of the uh, one of the best documentaries uh, that the sports documentary is one of the best that's ever made. You know, uh, we basically covered everything there for uh, episodes five and six, and I know you and I and everybody out there listening is, is looking forward to episodes seven and eight. Um, so, uh, about to wrap this thing up, man. You got anything else you want to say? Yeah, I mean, for people that don't know. Mark finally gave into a quarantine haircut. Hopefully he'll show you, <laughs> he'll show you his buzz off. Check I, it ha- out, man. I, I haven't given into it yet. I look haggard. I I've been like, Krista finally came over to me and said like a lot of girlfriends are like giving, giving their boyfriends that, that those quarantine haircuts. And I'm like, I went old school, man. I had my mother do it. I went old school. I mean, my mother tried to give me a haircut once and I got left with a bald spot and that, but I was like 11 when that happened. Uh, I'm at the point, I, I'm actually been thinking about shaving the beard completely off. Um, Dude, I don't that's know. A, that's, that's a I risky move. That's risque. Well, the thing was like, I shaved underneath. Like, so my fear is like, it took me 27 years to grow a beard. Right. And, and I've always said it that. It did. And I always said that jokingly, the fear was that if I shaved it off, it might never come back. And then there was a part like where I shaved too close underneath my chin and I got a lot done. And, and six weeks later, it's still bald. And I'm sitting there being like, see, like, this is what's going to happen. Like I shave it all off. It's never coming back. And then I might have to leave it all off. So like, I'm at that point though, right now that like, I don't know how much I could take. We're getting into the summer at this point and Dude, that's my, why I buzzed it. My, my, ma- this maintenance. My my Baba is not opening up anytime soon. And my thing is he takes care of my bed. And if I got to wear a face mask, like how is he going to operate with the face mask on to do that? Dude, and, that's why I trimmed my beard too. You know, my beard was long. I got rid of my mustache. I trimmed my beard because that mask was killing me. And what's he going to say? Like you need a CB19 test to prove that like I won't like, you know, like that's a whole yeah. other issue. Like I don't know what we're going to do. So what you need to do is get your camera fixed so that we can do this live. Well, I'm embarrassed. I'm not, and then everybody, I'm not, and everybody can see my anybody can see my fucking hair. I'm not. I'm not. You look like Trent from Boston right now. Do I? Yeah, a little yeah, bit. A little bit. You, you, Trent, you, you look super Iowa right now. Super Iowa. I look Midwestern. You, super Midwestern. Your boy Riggs got beat by a 12 year old on the golf the golf course. Did you see that? Dude, I saw. I saw on a 6200 yard course. Yeah, the kid's nasty. He's 12 years old. And he's I fucking mean, shooting a- par. He shot, an, he shot an 81 on a 6,200-yard course. I mean, come on. Yeah, that's nasty. He clearly and, – and he was out driving rigs too on some holes. It's a short course. I'm just saying, he, Riggs should be able to outdrive him still. Yeah. It's He's 30 short, years old. And Whitney was chirping him. I fucking love Ryan Whitney, dude. Speaking me, of Whitney, dude, shout out Pink Whitney, dude. That drink is amazing. I was actually going to try those high nooners that, that Portnoy was talking about. It's those vodkas and uh, whatever. He said, "Like they're like vodka watermelons yeah. and shit like that." Oh, like, nice. I've been looking. Not, man. That's free ads. Sorry, 
That was giving those out. If anybody from Barstool Sports is listening, man, we always for those ads. I gave you free ads today. (laughs) Always for those shout outs. (laughs) But everybody tune in Sunday night, nine o'clock. We will hopefully be back uh, next Tuesday. You guys got a free one early on this day, but it'll be next Tuesday. We'll be dropping this pod and uh, Mock send us out. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. Um, We'll be back next week with another episode for sure. Recapping episodes um, seven and eight. Um, So stay tuned for that. And we'll talk to you guys next week. I'm going to beat your ass in poker tonight. Ciao. (laughs) Thanks again, everybody, for listening to another episode of Hoop Dreams. Make sure to give me a follow on Instagram and Twitter at Hoop Dreams underscore MB. And my co-host, Steve Lewis. Follow him on Twitter at SLewis5656. Um, All the updates with the show uh, will be posted there. Um, Again, you can find us on all your listening platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. You guys know where to find us. Make sure you leave a review um, on the show. Uh, We'd really love to hear what you guys think. Um, It just lets us know how we're doing and and can only make the show better. Um, So go listen and leave a review. Um, And until next week, make sure you guys are always out there following your hoop dreams. to end cyber attacks at cyber reason we can tell you exactly what it takes it takes an army of battle-tested defenders on a mission defenders who fight foes that operate under the cover of digital darkness defenders who think move and adapt faster than cyber attackers defenders with the technology and effortless automation to spot and attack forming on computers mobile devices servers and the cloud and alert you when it matters most to end cyber attacks it takes the brightest minds in global cyber intelligence working to deliver future-ready protection to guard your data wherever the fight moves. Cyber Reason is ready to win the battle with you and for you. In the fight to end cyber attacks, we are the defenders. Join us to reverse the adversary attacks with proactive protection against ever-evolving threats. Cyber Reason and cyber attacks from endpoints to everywhere. Learn more at cyberreason.com. That's C-Y-B-E-R-E-A-S-O-N.com. Total Wine has thousands of wines to savor and pairings for every flavor. Spirits line the shelves. Gifts are easy with helpful elves. A wonderland to explore. Total Wine and more. Drink responsibly. B21.